Um, all right, so it's Wednesday, October 27, 2010. It's my first time doing that. That's <laughs> um, funny in the worship. Uh, I've seen. Uh, I wanna, I'll tell you about this because I want to paint a picture for you um, as we go through our message tonight. Um, it was going over and over in my mind, and I was in the scriptures today. And uh, looking in Daniel and in the course of Revelations, you see, in Revelations, you see Jesus. And some might, might argue whether, whether, whether it was Jesus or not in the book of Daniel, but it's the same picture. And you got this figure of a man with, uh, with, with white hair. Um, he's got a robe on and a sash, and he's got eyes of fire. And, um, and I just get that in the, in the worship, you know, as we're, as we're focusing and worshiping. And, uh, and given everything that we got in our, in our soul and our mind, everything at that moment to Jesus, what pops up in my mind is, is this man full of passion, so much that it's just blazing in his eyes for his people. And, um, and so as we start that, uh, I hope that y'all would hold on to that vision as we go through our message. Uh, tonight our message is going to be uh, Esther Boanin. Uh, Sunday, Eric posed a question. He said, um, do we really know Jesus? And um, that may, it may sound funny, but in my life, in my walk with Jesus, this has actually been a profound question. Um, because uh, how many of us, um, I'm talking about believers now, uh, have walked their whole walk with Jesus? I don't care if it's 30 years or two years. But don't really know him. There's there's a difference. Um, he said, "What what, I, what do I mean? Um, I mean, I serve Jesus. I read His Word. I worship at His altar. But do you really know? Him? I mean, I do the same thing. Um, and I do these things out of a desire in my heart, not because somebody told me to." But why is it every time I'm, I'm the closest, I, I, I feel like I'm the closest to the Lord, he keeps telling me, come on, come on, there's more. <laughs> there's always something pulling, saying, no, 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 you thought you were there, but now there's more. <laughs> you come to this place, but now there's more. It's always deeper with the Lord. It's always deeper with the Lord. Um, so I want to lay a little foundation for that tonight. The word, uh, the word no in Hebrew uh, is yada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Strong's Concordance defines this word to know God in uh, to know God is to have an intimate, experiential knowledge of Him. And uh, so I looked up the secular word or just a dictionary um, for the word intimate, since we're going to get into that tonight. And um, and it says the intimate relationship is particular uh, is a particularly close interpersonal relationship. It can be defined by these characteristics. Enduring behavioral interdependence. Or union. Repeated interactions. Or faithfulness, we call it. Uh, emotional attachment. Or desire. And a need for fulfillment. I call it dependence. <clears throat> Sunday, um, Jim and Matt sing a, a beautiful song called Be Magnified. Remember that? Yes. Uh, most of my life, I thought um, to magnify something meant uh, that you would make it bigger. 
Well, um, if you think about it, in reality, um, when you magnify something or someone, that thing or person does not change in size at all, really. You know? Uh, when we magnify something, uh, all we're really doing is looking into the intricate details of that thing, person, or matter. Um, hey, well, I gave you a scripture. Could you read it, brother? Sure. Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Mm. Amen. So we know um, through the teachings of Jesus and the witness of our spirit that um, that in God's eyes that we are kings and priests to the nations. <coughs> um, therefore, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's our glory to seek him out. That's how I would take that. Yeah. So tonight's uh, title is uh, Esther Pa'anim. And it means the hiding of the face. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. The Song of Solomon's 2 says, Listen, my lover, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling my beautiful one, and come with me. I remember a while back I studied on um, uh, a little something uh, called the Blessing of the Hands, and uh, they would have a priest called, called Kohanim, and um, uh, when he would, uh, the high priest, when he would uh, stand and bless his congregation, he would hold his hands like this. It's called the Blessing of the Hands. And um, when he would hold his hands like this, it was actually um, referring back to the, uh, the Hebrew letter Sheen. The two letters Sheen and El Shaddai, or how you want to say it. He would wear his tallit, and he would, as he would uh, say the blessing, he would hold his hands like this. Um, where they referenced it back to was this very scripture, when it said, the Lord would peer through the latticework at you. Uh, this came from the Song of Solomon. And they would say, because our lover is looking through the lattice and peeking at us. So the, uh, so the teaching of uh, Hester Poanim, or the hiding of the face, is a concept derived from thousands of years of suffering uh, on behalf of the Jewish people. Um, we know the nation of, uh, of Israel has been um, exiled to Babylon, persecuted and enslaved time and time again. Um, six million Jews died under the Holocaust and after all this it makes sense that these people would come up with uh, something about God hiding his face from them so you would think this was a concept of uh, punishment but it's not um, many times in the Bible God does hide his face in Genesis he hides his face from Cain uh, he hides his face from Job from David, and he hides his face from Moses. Yet in Deuteronomy, the scripture says Moses talked to God face to face. Um, don't turn there. Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18 basically said God hides his face because the people turn from him. Actually, we can turn to there. 
because the people turned from him because they, they took their dependence um, and their union and their trust and they put it in another and so um, so it's not like God's playing games <clears throat> the people cause him to hide his face uh, hide his face from them so is God you know you look at this and you say okay so is God so easily um, offended or is it just wisdom on his part? Uh, in the Jewish thought, uh, Hester Pauline, or the concept, um, it's actually seen as an attribute of God, uh, or a wise tactic. What it does is it uh, he does it in order to provoke his people to search for him. So among the Jewish believers, when it um, when it seems that God is not present uh, in your situation. Uh, the teaching Hester Barnim will pop up uh, or the hiding of the face will come to their mind uh, they would think actually think back to the story of Esther and um, when all the Jews knew they knew in the scripture said they knew that God turned his face from them and what happened they were on the brink of total annihilation if you know the story yet God had invested in one godly woman his power to redeem her. Through what? Obedience. Even though it cost it would cost her a life, through obedience she could redeem the nation. God redeemed it through her. He turned the enemies playing upside down. So Hester Poanim is not um, absent of divine presence. It's the presence of divine absence. It's not absence of divine presence. It's presence of divine absence. John and Joy, can you come here? I want to illustrate something. Thanks. Okay, y'all two stand right here. All right. Now, John, you turn around. All right, so... So John's turned his back on his wife. Okay? Um, do, it. do you feel betrayed? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you feel an overwhelming sense of abandonment? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Kill me. Kill <laughs> <laughs> Alright, do you feel that he doesn't exist? <laughs> do you feel like he doesn't exist? Okay. 
Johannes hid his face from his wife, yet she does know that he still exists. She doesn't get a great expectation of abandonment because she gets Magnum back in the head. She wanted to, right? <laughs> Turn around. Right? No, no. Okay, okay. He's close. All right. So my point is, just as um, just because God hides His face from you, does not mean that He abandoned you. Y'all can sit down. Maybe, just maybe, God turned His face from you because He wants to point you in a different direction. Maybe he wants you to follow him. Amen? Amen. Not only that, check this out, okay? I'm at home, and my little Anna, she'll do something funny with me. She'll take, she'll, uh, she wants me to tickle her and chase her around the house. So she'll kind of look over, look over her shoulder, give me this beautiful little look, like, come and get me, you know? And then, boom, she'll run. And she wants me to catch her and tickle her and love on her. She loves that. I mean, she can do it all day long. I see Jesus in that. Why? She All she wants is me to pursue her. She loves that. And so does he. Maybe he's turned his face because he's pointing you and wants you to follow in another direction. Or maybe he's turned his face and moved on because he wants you to follow. Or he wants you to seek after him. He wants to be pursued. He lacks for nothing. This is his desire. So I believe God the Father and God the Son are of one substance. I believe God the Father spoke to Moses face to face. I don't believe that was a, a glitch in the scripture. And when it was time for Moses to stop camping and to start following... I believe the father turned, and as he turned his head, he revealed the expression of his son. God was showing Moses, this is what it's like, this is what I look like, when I say, come, follow me, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the expressed image of God. Amen? He's the exact representation. So if there was a problem here uh, with God's intervention with Moses, it was not that God turned expressions on him. It was God covered Moses' face with his hand. Let's, um, let's <coughs> turn to Exodus 33.7. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to the tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. 
while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young, but his young, Joshua son of Nun did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, you know me by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that the nation, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you, give you rest. Then people said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. You, you and, uh, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Then the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, this is a place, there is a place near me where you may stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cliff of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. There's a, um, there's a Jewish uh, parable in the Jewish teachings about a king sitting in his castle uh, surrounded by steel walls. The king challenges his slaves uh, to climb over the wall and, uh, and to come to him. Those who embrace this challenge and overcome this great feat prove that they love him and fear him. Those who don't prove, other, prove otherwise. So the whole point of the parable is that the king loves the ones who are close to him. God is not um, playing hide and seek. I don't believe that. You, uh, I think it's just that you have to lay yourself down in order to receive such a beauty. In order to uh, witness such a beautiful thing, you must first ask and then be willing to give up what it costs to embrace such an honor. In, uh, in one verse... The scripture tells us that uh, Moses saw God face to face. In the other, it tells us that Moses cannot see God's face. Or he would die. I had a, uh, when I was in prison, I had a brother preach a message one time. And he explained how uh, the face of God was multi-sided. How God had many faces and uh, with, each, uh, with each side of his face, it was like turning a diamond 
And all you would do each time he turned it was see more and more of its beauty. So like I was saying before, it was like it was like God came to Moses and, and you see here, you're thinking, okay, God turned his back on Moses. He says, you can only see my backside. But what I see is as God turned, he only expressed a different expression to Moses. If God was multi-faced or, you know, had different faces, it's not that he didn't see his face. He's seen another expression of him. And the expression was his son. This is what it looks like to follow. But here's the, here's the thing. God took his velvet hand and he covered Moses' face. If there was any problem in this, it was that. Is that Moses trying to see the glory of the Lord in all of his expressions had a face in his had a hand in his way. So God placed a temporary veil over his face. What? While he changed expressions. But then he had to move it at one time because when Moses came down and the glory was on him, he had to put a veil on his face in order not to uh, in order for the people not to see it because they couldn't handle it. So my heart tonight, if I can do halfway of a job trying to present a message, is that, um, that I would present to you a provocative message. One that provokes you. Um, it would provoke you to, or I want to remind you that the church world are the body of believers. They follow God and, and they'll do what they think is right. But sometimes I feel like we're trying to walk and trying to see God with a veil over our face. We've got to be reminded that Jesus tore the veil. He ripped it from top to bottom. Um, think about this. In a marriage, when the veil is lifted, well, it's a sign. It's a sign that two have become one, and then now it's time for the beauty, and then comes intimacy. Song of Solomon 1 says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. I didn't write that. He did. He put it there for a reason. Turn to Ezekiel 16. of the total redemption process it happens over and over again. This is actually a picture of Israel and what God was doing with them, but it's also a picture of us individually. 16.1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. 
Your ancestry and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do anything, any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For the, for the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by you and saw you kicking in your own blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You who were naked and bare. Later, I passed by you. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water, washed, you, washed the blood from you, and put ointments on you. I clothed you with a embroidery dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen, covered you with costly garments. I adorned, adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabrics and embroidery clothes. Your food was fine flour, honey, and oil, olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen, and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. So he says, uh, I chose you out of the world, and I threw you among men, but none of them pitied you. He said, I found you in your blood, and that word means guiltiness. I saw you struggling in your own guiltiness, he said. But I spoke, and then I said, live. So that, to me, that reminds me, it says, yet while you were still sinners, yeah, I came to you in your, in your blood, and then I said, live. Mm -hmm. I spoke life into you when you were struggling in your blood. God steps in, and he makes ashes into beauty, we say. Not only that, he's God, he says, I'm not done yet in the scripture. He says, now is the time for love. And that word there, love, is D-O-D-E, 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 that's all I can say. And it meant to boil. It was a boiling kind of love. It was a time for burning love, he said. So it was a time for to lift the veil. He says, since you were still naked and bare, I spread my wings over you, and I covered your nakedness. We've got to all relate to this. Then because you were, uh, he says, then because you're now you're pure, I can marry you. You were no longer struggling in your blood because I already, I already struggled in mine. When Jesus snatched me from the fire, I call it a rated R event. That was for romantic. <laughs> Why? Because what he provoked in me was that boiling love. That it's just a passion. It's really hard to explain. I'm still trying to explain it, as you can see. 
<laughs> what did he do? He ripped the veil. He ripped the veil of my heart and he showed me his face. Face to face when we came. Just as the, uh, in the Psalms it says his countenance or his face, is the, that's the only place where I've been able to draw any power in my life. It's been from that face-to-face contact. Um, Turn to Luke 7, 36. says now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the Pharisees house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees house she brought an alabaster of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Is this man? Oh, if this man were a prophet, he would know who it, who it is who's touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money. To a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. She loved much because she had been forgiven much. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. This woman had an unveiled passion for Jesus. Why? Because he washed away her sin and what did he do? He replaced it with an overwhelming desire to lavish her love on him. <clears throat> I, uh, I believe there was a woman in, uh, in the Song of Solomon, since we pointed this out, that parallels her. It's called the Shulamite woman. And they give just a picture right here of the woman lavishing herself on Jesus. I believe the Song of Solomon shows her heart. 
I believe there were two in one. If there's a spirit of Elijah coming on somebody else, why can't there be a spirit of the Shulamite woman on this lady? <laughs> so I'll point these out. Song of Solomon's uh, parallels, and you don't have to turn there, but chapter 2, 3 says, um, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. When you fly a banner, that's a public display. Amen. Amen. God's public display over you is his love for you. Yeah. Strengthen me with raisins, refreshing me with apples, for I am faint with love. He said, you're making my knees <laughs> His left arm is under my hand, and his right arm embraces me. His right arm, that's his strong arm, embraces you. Chapter 5, 2 says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless <clears throat> My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? Should I get dirty from the road? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose, I arose to open for my lover, but my hand dripped with mirth. My fingers with flowing mirth on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. Procrastination. He was gone, but my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but he did not, but I did not find him. I called to him, he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me and they bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls. O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him that I'm faint with love. King James says that I'm lovesick. This is a good place. Mm -hmm. Chapter 8, 6, 7 says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This Shulamite woman and the woman who lavished Jesus share the same testimony. We love much because we've been forgiven much. So much. I don't know about you, I'd love to share that legacy. This is their legacy, that they lavished themselves on Jesus and they yeah. loved him in this manner. Good work. Cody posed the question the other night, what is love? <coughs> I would answer love is objective. It needs an object. Turn to um, Matthew 27, 45, and I'll explain. Yeah.
Eric, did you read it? Yes, sir. 2745 through 52. Okay. From the sixth hour into the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Wow. Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? Do you see the picture from Moses? As God turns his face on Moses, I think it's the same picture here. God turns his face at this moment from the world and on his precious son. But what does he do? He exposes the most beautiful expression he would ever show mankind at that moment. As his face turned away from the world, the expression he showed man was his son crucified. And what happened next? The veil was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, top to bottom. Because God comes down to man. What's he doing? He is inviting us into his chambers. Correct? So how do we do it? That's always the answer. I remember um, someone telling me the story of the uh, where they used to tie the rope to the high priest and send him in yeah. mm -hmm. because they were worried that he would he would die by uh, death of glory. I guess he would send the Lord and he wouldn't be able to, you know, he, he would have some sin in him or something and he would die, and they would be able to pull his body back out. <laughs> <laughs> He was making himself vulnerable in order to see the face of God. And so should we. We must become vulnerable in order to, to see God. That's a good word. I once knew a, uh, a man that uh, left behind a business that he had built up for 11 years. He uprooted his whole family from anything, everything they ever knew. He watched his wife and his kids fall their eyes out when he told them that they were moving <laughs> and they were going to take them from everything they ever knew. He, they, they left behind a church family that was like brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers to them. They left behind family members that were in terrible sickness that needed their help. All because the intimacy of the Father had moved locations. 
in order that they would follow. Nothing's changed. We're still to follow the glory of the Father. How? We must become wrong again. Yeah, it'll mean you put yourself somewhere that you know nothing about. That means that you'll put yourself out and that things are not going to go your way. But you must follow with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Love is objective. It has an object, and that object is us. If we do not reciprocate that love, if we do not follow this love, if we do not become dependent on His love, then we become a shut-up temple with untorn beds. When do we get to a point of reckless abandonment? When will we come to the altar, not because of our problems, but because we simply are seeking more of Him? Because something in our heart cries out, there's more. Yeah, I have a lot. A lot of His presence, but there's more. Even if it means going somewhere in order to Maybe what God was telling Moses was, in order to see my face, you must die. And what did Moses say? Show me your glory. I want to see your glory, Lord. What does it take? I love it. I believe Jesus came and, um, and when he set himself like flint towards our redemption, I think on that day he set up an eternal altar. Believe that. He may have borne our afflictions mm-hmm. on his body, but did he also bore our infirmities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on his heart. So many look to, like, it was so bad that he got torn to pieces, but think about what he carried internally. Mm-hmm. The sin of all mankind. That's a heavy load. This means, this means if you were molested as a child, he carried it. It means if you were abandoned, he carried it. This means if you were raped, mocked, betrayed, crucified, deceived, tortured in your spirit, he carried it. If circumstances in your life have left you empty, If someone in your life has left a void in your heart, he carried it. If someone told you that God was far off and he does not forgive you, remember this, Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. I don't believe I'm qualified to call uh, an altar call. But I do believe that God, when he turned his face and expressed to you his son, I believe Jesus consummated the marriage between him and his bride with his blood. In doing so, he left the altar wide open. Amen. Open to reciprocate intimacy with the Father in order to reflect his glory. 
beautiful is he? He's beautiful. He's so beautiful to me. The things that he's done for me, he set me free. When I came to him, my heart was so hard, I even practiced being hard. And before long, I became that. Testimony, I trained my body to be so hard and spiritually hard I'm talking about. To this day, I still struggle trying to shed tears. Even in, when the, in the inside, I feel like crying. Something in, me, I, something in me has trained my body not even to do that. Something's wrong with that. Very, very rarely. But God came in and tore the veil. Amen. He gave me shalom. He gave me beauty. Amen. That's what he does. He's so beautiful. Uh, I could I could explain it for the rest of my life, I guess. But that's what he is to me. He is the book of Song of Solomon. He is my lover. And I am the one chasing after him. And he keeps telling me, keep telling me, come on. Come on. If you think you've reached it, you haven't. Because there's always more with him. He's always deeper. He calls out to deep. Amen. If love is a is love is objective, then we are it. One and one in him. As the son was with the father, so we are with him. A relationship. Powerful. Powerful. Okay, I'll quit. <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen as much here in the South, but you may have been in a conversation with someone, they said I did this and that, and then yada yada, <laughs> which is kind of a way of saying, you know, you know what I was going to say, you know how the story ends. The problem is, is this is what people do with Jesus. We say yada yada, which means I know him, I know him, but there's only one way to know him. You have to pursue him. And he will take you places that require you to die with him to know him. This is what Paul meant when he said, I know the fellowship is his sufferings. That's why I could write to a church. It's been granted unto you to suffer for his name. Michael quoted one of my very favorite proverbs. And he quoted the inside of my wife's wedding band. It's all right. I didn't know it, but I still have his message and prophecy today. It's almost as if Jesus is moving in this place. Come on. He said, it is to the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is to the glory of kings to search it out. Every time he turns his back a little bit, and you seek him and search him, Finding Jesus and how it's revealed. And as you're pursuing Jesus, you get to know him. Do you know him? It's so easy to say yada yada. The whole church world's learned to do it. But do you? When Mike is talking, whether you understand the Hebrew words or not, and I'm in a place where I happen to understand them. There's something inside you that is. Kind of come into life as you hear it. Mm -hmm. 
ladies, like when you watch the movie The Notebook and something in you oh. just kind of <laughs> wet your eyes, you know? Because this is a love story. And if you don't love him, if you don't love him passionately, then you don't know him. You ever had somebody that was ugly to you and you said they just don't know me well enough yet? Never has there been a truer statement made about Jesus. To know him is to love him, and to love him passionately is to know him. I just want to be honest. Look in a man's eyes and tell him that's the case. Don't give me your creeds. Don't even give me just your deeds. Let me see an undying passion for Jesus. He might even pick you up and move you to another state. Someone might leave you in a place where you don't see much provision. He might separate you from everything that was familiar so that you come to the conclusion if you have him, it's enough. Yeah. How about that? If you have him, it's enough. i got to tell you, faithfulness springs up and righteousness pours down and kiss. I know what it is to sit in a living room broken hearted not one of my dreams working out. Nothing working. He shows up in the room. And I saw a new part of his face. This ministry is the result of those many encounters. Our legacy is your love affair with him. It's hard to draw people in the same way any love story does. Stand to your feet. Not the absence of divine presence, but the presence of divine aptness. I'm sorry, of divine absence. It's to do one thing, to create hunger. You couldn't wait to get home to see somebody that you love. You got there, you knew they were in the house, and you searched the house for them. My wife's blow drying her hair, she can't hear anything. I'll search every square inch of that house till I find where I'm related, what I do, because I couldn't wait to get there. That's what your worship time should be like. And how can those guys make the gospel romantic? We didn't, Jesus did. How can those guys talk about husband-wife relationships in terms of God-man relationship? We didn't, he did. I think your love for your spouse is something that is a pale reflection in comparison with what your love for Jesus should be. Mm-hmm. That's the standard, saints. It's the standard. I stood at Mandy and Kelsey's wedding and told the entire crowd, if your love for Jesus is any less obvious than these two people's love for each other, you are not saved. Sorry about that, guys. Hush over the crowd. Absolute hush. My, all my co-workers were there. How you can say that? Because when you know him, you know he's worth it. You know it's worth it. You're not worried about hurting people's feelings. You're worried about hurting his feelings. Yeah. He's the one. But we're not going to give an altar call. This whole room is an altar. Yeah. This just turns into another Wednesday service for you. 
want you to know there will be a day you stand before that man with glowing fire in his eyes. You'll have to give an account for trampling on his purpose. Because these are purpose. You cannot go to a seminary and find them. You can't go to a bookstore and find them out. They come out of men who have had his back turned and chased him down and got in his presence and found Jesus. Because he was broken. I pray you have pearls like this to give. Mm -hmm. And I pray you share them with everybody except the kids. I'll give you a hint. Pigs live outside of the stables that people call church. Because sometimes they sneak in and make their home on the sheep. If somebody loves Jesus, he'll overlook every other thing in their life and he'll wash them up just like Ezekiel 16 is saying. Isn't that where he found you? Find somebody bloody. Teach them to fall under his cover. Show them how to love him. Bring them into your fellowship, your intimate place. Let them see how you worship God. No different than teaching your daughter how to dance so that at prom she's not embarrassed. Let the world may know him. That's what this is about. Mighty God. Lord, we pray that you cure our dry eyes. Lord, that you heal our emotions. Lord, that we might be as you have called us to be. Unbridled, passionate men and women who love you. Lord, I am not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed of your gospel. You are the very power of God. Lord, I pray that these men and women would see you without their veils on. Lord, but they would stand in your presence, vulnerable, naked, and say, Lord, adorn me with you. Teach me to be like you. Holy One, clothe us in your presence, that the world might fall in love with you inside of us. In the name of Yeshua, Amen. Amen.